tag us on your walks. Take your hot girl walks. (laughs) That's what they call it on TikTok, the hot girl walk. (laughs) Hot girl. I would not be a hot girl. I look absolutely. I've got, I've got my like my winter hat pulled down, my scarf around my mouth. Like you wouldn't even see me. Yeah, really, well, except my eyes. But you're warm. <laughs> but you're warm. Yes. Welcome to Book Talk, etc a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today, we're talking about books that feature rich people behaving badly. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, Tina. Hi, Renee. How are you? I'm good. It's been a little bit we had that, that since we've talked. So this is, we're back in the swing. Mm-hmm. We had a little bit of a, a recording break, even though it's not out there, you know, the show's still dropped as usual, we had a bit of a break. Yes, I know. We were in Florida for a week and it was weird to not be in constant communication. I'm like, what's happening? What's Renee doing? What's going on in Ohio? (laughs) No, but we had a good trip and I spent it reading one of my books I'm bringing today because it was a super long book and uh, you'll have to wait and see what I thought about it. Yeah, this was a fun topic. Yes, um, and we actually, it's so it's surprising that we haven't done this sooner because we always talk about loving this. Yes. And for some reason, it didn't get on the content calendar last year. So this was fun. Turns out I've already read a lot of books with this theme. Oh, yeah. So I did I had to do some digging and and then I, I got a recommendation from a friend, which worked out. So I'll tell you about that. Um, I'm excited. I know. I was looking to see. Like, I must have checked three times. I'm like, I think we did this already. Didn't we do this already? And we haven't done a whole episode (laughs) on rich people behaving badly. So, um, well, let's get started. I will tell you, I'm you know, I've been almost struggling finding loving lately is because I'm mm-hmm. like, I've told you all my secrets. You guys know everything there is to know. <laughs> However, one of my 2023 New Year's resolutions was to wear more jewelry, which I know sounds kind of dumb. Mm. <laughs> like, just do it. No. But I'm like always did it, moving, going, whatever, and I forget to add it. So that was one of my goals. And my friend on New Year's Eve had these adorable little hoops in her ears. I'm like, tell me about these earrings, Heather. What's going on? Like, I love these earrings. Anyway, she's like, oh, let me, you know, send you the link. So they're from this company called Hello Adorn. And it's a handmade jewelry company created by a couple named Jess and Adam. And they're out of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. If you go to their website, and of course, we'll link it, their pieces are beautiful. It's just very, they're delicate, but still unique. And they're also reasonably priced. What made me buy them was that my friend said she's had hers in for well over a year and they haven't turned colors. They don't bother her ears. I am somebody who gets bothered very easily by jewelry Mm -hmm. or just things when I'm going to sleep. I can't have anything weird touching me. So I was like, (laughs) all right, let me see if I can actually, you know, sleep with these in. 
And I did. I cannot feel them, which is major for me because I have so many holes in my ears, but I never wear earrings because I hate taking them in, putting them, you know, right. putting them in, taking them out. So the ones that I ordered, I'll tell you specifically, were the tiny twists and the tiny horse shoes. And so the tiny twists, you kind of corkscrew it into your ears and it looks like it makes you look like you have a double piercing, even though there's only a single. So anyway, mm. it's really cute. They're just tiny little hoops. And I have the bigger size. There's two different sizes. I got the one that's a little bit bigger. And they have gold, rose gold, and silver. And then I got these tiny horseshoes that were just nice looking. And when I was on the website looking them up, I was like, you know what? I kind of want some more of their stuff. Like I might need to make another order. I thought this was really good for Valentine's Day too. If you wanted to like look on there and see if there's anything you like and maybe send it to a partner. So if you're in the market for some jewelry, I highly recommend this company. It's Hello Adorn. I love that. Yeah. That's going to that is going to be very popular. Um that's a great bring because I will never bring anything jewelry related. I don't wear a lot of jewelry. Yeah. And so I'm glad that you did that. I don't think we've had jewelry on I don't for loving so. lately. I was trying to that's a I was trying one. to remember. I was like I don't think we have. So. Yeah, good. Okay. Mine is much different. And also just, I cannot believe I haven't brought this before. Um, This is not going to be groundbreaking or earth shattering. I'm sure a lot of people may already have this, but I love it so much. It is a handheld pasta noodle veggie strainer with a handle. Now. Okay. Tell me more. Can you picture this? I wish I would have brought mine upstairs. I didn't bring it upstairs. It's a handheld strainer. That's it. So it fits a nine inch pot. When I make pasta, because there's only two of us, uh, I don't have to use like a gigantic pot. I know maybe you're supposed to, but I don't. So I can just drain the water with my handheld strainer without, Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Without getting out the other strainer, dumping it in, transferring it back because (laughs) this is quick and easy. It's just very random, but I love it. And And you can also strain veggies. Like if whatever you're doing, you can strain it. And I love it. It's by Handy Housewares. I'll link to the exact one that I have. It was like, a, I think it's a $7 like price point. Mm-hmm. Super, super reasonable. But I use it at least once a week. More if I'm just depending on what I'm making. But I don't, I love it. And I wanted to share that. Right. So I figure a lot of people might already use something like that. But if not, maybe you would like your own little handheld pasta strainer. So that is by Handy Housewares and it's a handheld pasta noodle veggie strainer. Is it metal or is it plastic? Plastic. Okay. And is it heavy or is it easy to hold? Okay. It's really light. That's always my issue is like the heaviness of it. I'm like, oh, trying to dump my pasta water. Right. Because you do have to, yeah, yeah. If you, it wouldn't work if you you had something filled all the way up Mm -hmm. and you know what I mean? Yeah. You have to be very I don't know, precise about it, I guess, that so that you don't lose the pasta. Oh, you know. can't have that. <laughs> Down, you know, in the sink. Yeah, Darren doesn't usually do it. I usually, um, because I can, I've done it for so long. I've literally had like this forever and love it that I'm pretty good at like not losing the pasta. Isn't that funny that like these things we have forever, it's just interesting to me. I love this little, just the things that we use often 
that we don't think to talk about, we don't think to share mm-hmm. about, but like make such a difference, right? I love when you bring random things like this. I'm thinking of the, the splatter guard that I still need to purchase for the walk. Or fry whatever. wall. The fry wall. By yes. Fry wall. I'm telling you. I need a fry wall. That, like loving lately, um, circle back, that really, really works well. I have found, depending on the fish that I like, I can't turn it up too high. And I, sh- and I, you're probably not supposed to anyways. And I think I had it up too high. But if you need a lot of steam to be released on something, that's the mm. only, that's the only thing I noticed where I had to then go ahead and take it off because there was just too much steam building up. Otherwise, I absolutely love that. I don't hear, it makes cleanup so nice. So if you've been wondering if, you know, what I thought about the fry wall, I love it. It actually works. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, (laughs) All right. So for today, we're going to do something a little bit differently when it comes to our latest read. We are actually bringing the same latest read today, and it is Spare by Prince Harry. So we're bringing this. We wanted to share our thoughts on it, not only because it's the book of the moment right now, but it's also our Book Talk Etc. book club pick for February. So if you have read it or plan to read it, now is the time to sign up to become a patron of ours. I cannot wait for this discussion. Mm-hmm. I love this group of individuals, and I know it's going to be a thoughtful and respectful discussion, but like nuanced, and I just cannot wait to see what everybody thinks. So we would love to invite you into that conversation. The discussion is going to be held on Wednesday, February 15th at 6.30 p.m. Central via Zoom. And it's for our Book Talk, et cetera, patrons for $5 a month. So that's kind of the, you know, little plug for our Patreon group. It's one of our benefits. Now, this book came out as we're recording, I think, about just under two weeks ago. Renee read it first. um, And I was trying to finish it. I just finished it this morning. And we've not shared any thoughts. When I tell you I've been avoiding spoilers like the plague, Renee would say, oh, uh, <laughs> Prince Harry. I'm like, I don't want to know. Don't tell, <laughs> don't tell me. Like, And I've done that several times to people because folks keep trying. You know, of course, a lot of people are reading it. We want to share about it. And I've like right. avoided spoilers like, like crazy. So I cannot wait to hear what you think. I can't wait to hear what you think. And yeah. I did the audio, full audio, the whole thing. How about you? Uh, about... The first two parts, there's a three-part book. The first two parts I did audio. The last one I did print just because that was, it was the morning and I was reading on my phone. And we have not, we'll keep it spoiler-free here. Like we're not going to get into like some of the huge reveals, although you probably have seen them unless you've been avoiding it. But we'll share everything at book club. But for now, I love, I mean, look, I loved it. Now here's, here's the thing. I have a unique, odd connection to it. One of the criticisms I heard, people like part one and part three and part two they thought was super boring, and that's during his time in the military. He he goes into all the detail about military and flying helicopters. I dated a helicopter pilot in years and years ago who flew Apaches, which is the same helicopter that he ended up getting trained Mm -hmm. for. So I was digging it because I remember helping this person study and like learning and it was like on the military base and like I had this odd connection to that part. But I think it's totally fair if that is not your thing, how you can see that part was dragging. What did you think? I, boy, I'll tell you what. I I mean, I definitely binged it. 
And I feel like I am an impartial, like royal person. I could take it or leave it. I find the royal I find the royal family fascinating and interesting and the monarchy and and I'm I find all of that interesting. I don't have strong opinions. And so I feel like I I feel like I was able to take in the book on number one on a memoir level, like to compare it to some of the other memoirs I've read. And then on the flip side, a writing and structure level. Mm-hmm. Like, is it is it a well-written memoir? I kept thinking, you know, about that. And I know the ghostwriter um helped helped write Andre Agassi's Open. Oh. Which was a five-star memoir for me. I just absolutely love that. I liked it. I didn't love the I didn't love it. Okay. Yeah. I feel very middle of the road mm, mm-hmm. about it. I was very bored in the third in the second part. Mm-hmm. I mean, after the initial like we got it. I, I felt like I understood what he was, you know, I don't know. It was it was too many military details mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. I think the part one and part three were interesting, especially part one, um, which is quite a lot about his mother. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess one of my big takeaways for this was the extent of his grief. Yeah. And I don't think. I don't think he's quite worked through that either. Mm -hmm. I think he still is. I think that anyone who reads this will get a a really accurate feel for like that trauma and grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I I was thinking too, we are coming at this as Americans, right? We're not British. Mm -hmm. And so I would be curious to know Canadians or British or anybody that, you know, that is their monarchy, if they have a different opinion and I don't know everything, of course, about British culture, but what I was gathering, I completely agree. He has not fully worked through his grief, but that's, from what I understand, kind of their way. It's like, nope, you know, push it down. We don't talk about mummy. We don't talk about it. Just mm-hmm. kind of like let it ride. And I feel like when he was in his 30s, maybe when he started to meet Megan, maybe after or a little before, that's when he started therapy and then started like being able to work through some of that, but it takes time. I mean, he had, you know, repressed this trauma for so many years. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was just kind of considering that as well. I think for him, this was very candid. I think he did dig deep and really try and share. This had to be very, very challenging to write. I wonder if he's afraid, like, of exposing all of these details. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, but I personally... I'm glad that he was able to get it out. Whether or not you believe him, like him, want, whatever. I'm glad that, hey, you had this platform. Go for it. Like, I think it's fascinating that he did this. I loved hearing his story in his own words. And I actually, for part two, my big takeaway, aside from the military stuff, was how profoundly lonely this man is or was. Mm -hmm. And what it was like to grow up in this type of environment, wanting to do things for yourself, not being able to, having this entitlement, being aware of it, but like you can't do much about it. I don't know. I thought it was very interesting. I'm glad that he got somewhat control of his narrative now. I think I would have liked even more from part three, like more details. (laughs) Cause like I was laughing (laughs) because their wedding was like a paragraph. And I was like, we got like 18 paragraphs of you 
learning how to fly these helicopters. And then we got like a paragraph about the wedding. But then I thought, well, you know, this is his memoir. Like, tell your story. I, and this is why I think this is going to be a great book to talk about with a group of people. And I also think even if you don't have a book club that you can talk about this with, try to have um, a reading partner or someone because what I am tossing around and what I want to talk about with other people is my feeling that he aired a lot of dirty laundry. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, I feel like he went to therapy and he, and he decided I'm going to share, I'm going to tell my truth. This Mm -hmm. is my story. Okay. That's fair. Fair enough. It's your memoir. But it felt like a lot of airing of, of just so much dirty laundry Mm -hmm. and not, in my opinion, enough Mm self-awareness to go with that. I wanted way more self-awareness. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I hear you. Um, I don't know that he's there yet. And that's why this is the same thing with Matthew Perry's memoir. I'm like, ooh, you're not on the other side of this addiction. So it felt very visceral. It felt very, he's still in this. And I don't, I wonder how he'll feel years later reading this. Like, I agree. Because, I mean, I'm very, very curious. I think you're right. Some of the things he shared, it's kind of not his stuff to like, it was irrelevant. Like Kate's mm-hmm. hormone thing. Like, why do we care about that? And I get that he was trying to paint the picture of the tension. And I I appreciate that. I understand uh, where that was coming from to a certain extent. He was trying to, like, paint the tension between the couples and things like that. But I'm also like, why are you sharing that? Like, that's nothing to do right. with you. Did you feel that it was a bit of... The picture that was painted was a bit of tainted with rose-colored glasses as far as the two of them, like like Harry and Meghan. There wasn't a whole lot of like self-awareness. I keep coming back to that to say like any part that they may have played in anything. I, I didn't get that, mm-hmm. whether or not maybe he didn't feel like they played or had a negative part in anything. Mm-hmm. But do you know what I mean? Like, Without, like, I know we can't give any details, but it just seemed like for everything, for example, the lip gloss, mm-hmm. the lip gloss incident with yeah. the um, Kate and Megan. I felt like Megan was, you know, made to be completely innocent yeah, in that. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and you know what I mean? And Kate was made to look weird. Yeah, right. In that particular know. instance. No, I totally yeah. hear that. I love their love story. I was trying to think, what would I say, right, if I was writing my memoir? And again, I come back to, you're still very young. You are not ready yet for this, probably. (sighs) And it's 100%. I do think it was very rose-colored glasses with their relationship. Um, I liked reading it, though. I was touched many times with their story. So they're an interracial couple. And I just keep thinking about if somebody were to say, this stuff about my husband or my daughter, I'd go nuclear too. Like I would do, mm-hmm. I would move heaven and earth to do what I needed to do to get people to stop focusing on that or saying those things about my family. So for me, I was like, hey, you know what? If it's rosy, it's to offset all of the vitriol that they went through. Some of the things that's going on in the media, like I just can't, uh, and I get it. You should have a 
stiff upper lip, you should have thick skin, but at a certain point, it feels different. And I'm getting emotional because I was talking to one of our patrons, Ava, a friend of the show, and she was saying, she asked me if anybody's ever said anything to Jonathan and and me about Lily or, you know, racial to us. And I said, of course. I said, well, yeah, but to, to me and Jonathan, but not to Lily yet. And she goes, the fact that you said yet is heartbreaking. Mm. And I said, it is. And I know it's going to happen. I'm going to have to deal with it. And I'm going to lose my shit. I'm going mm-hmm. to lose my mind. <laughs> right? So yeah. that's what, yeah. when we got to that part, and he didn't even, he barely touched on the racism part at all. Like he like whispered. <laughs> he, he said it, you know, directly a few times, but he barely, barely mm-hmm. touched on some of those pe- pieces. So I was wondering, I would love to hear Megan's side of it, but I know she's, I don't know. I would, I would be very curious to see mm-hmm. in a couple years. Let's give it some time. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking yeah, like a I Barack do. and Michelle kind of thing where, you know, he, Barack had his memoir and then we heard Michelle's memoir. Yeah. I do think you're right about um, the picture that he was able to paint for us of the press, yeah. the UK press, and what they and exactly what they went through was shocking. Yeah. It's, it was shocking and it was sad. And no wonder he had PTSD. Right. And no wonder that they left. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I don't think anyone could read this and not think, yeah, I would have probably left too. Yeah. Because it was awful and I really had no idea that that was how the British press operated mm-hmm. I on just, those levels. I had no idea. And I hate for me I hate the comparison. I hate the Kate versus Megan thing. I hate that they mm-hmm. paint each other. You know, they put the two women up against each other. Can right. we just not have two powerful women in the family? It, it bugs me. But then, yes, the media is partly to blame because, for example, avocado toast. And I remember this. Megan was photographed mm-hmm. eating avocado toast. And the big story was, oh, her avocado toast is ruining the earth. Avocados cost this much water to create, blah, blah, blah. And when Kate was pregnant, they're like, she loves avocados. It's making her skin glow. And it's just very, it's like they're saying the quiet part out loud. Like, it's very obvious that they're getting two very different spins. I also understand Kate's going to be the future queen. So that is very different. I I really, I'm also very, I literally closed this book two hours ago. So I'm very Mm -hmm. much like in a, you know, kind of. raw place having just finished it. I think it's worth the read. There's so many more things I could say, but I know I don't want to like ruin all of the fun for everyone. I know. I think what I'm going to, what I'm going to end with is also from a, a critique of the writing. I found it to be very choppy, very choppy in places. (laughs) Um, why are you laughing? I I don't disagree. I'm laughing because <laughs> he mentions his penis no less than 15 times. Oh my! In different sections I done of the book. That too. I was like, "Where is the editor? I know you're a prince, but the- like, we've got to get this out. One mention, mm-hmm. fine, Was as it relates to the story. We don't need it again and again. I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> it like was so it. I just laugh because I'm thinking the writing. I was like, and then I was laughing mm-hmm. too because they're like, you know, they always call me stupid and this and that. I'm like, oh gosh, you know, you want this oh. to be this like really well written, beautiful story. I just think it felt I, for me, it read authentic. It read like him, good, bad, mm-hmm. ugly. It read kind of 
in his voice for me. And was it the best memoir I've ever read? No. Was I thoroughly entertained? Absolutely. And I would recommend it because I think it's so good for discussion. I think it's so Mm -hmm. good for people that have a mild interest even in the monarchy. I think it ties in perfectly to our topic today, rich people behaving badly. I mean, really, (laughs) you don't get much more relevant than that. I will add... I will add that I think this, I think Spare and the Palace Papers by yes. Tina Brown would be an amazing yeah. book flight. Now I need to read um, that. I need to read that one. You definitely need to read that. And uh, I think she provided a more, obviously, a more sure rounded look at the monarchy. Mm-hmm. But if you put both of those together, boy, you're definitely going to have a much better understanding of the royal family and monarch- mm-hmm. and the monarchy after yeah. reading both of those. I think yeah. you're right. I think I will pick that up and just try it out and see and have it like my nonfiction book that I'm listening to long term because now I am curious. And I also would love to hear their story. I also know we'll never get that because that's the way, no. right? So it also feels like, right. okay, it's going to be one-sided no matter what. Mm-hmm. I just... I'm just an empath. I'm a softie. I just hope that he and Meghan are okay and that Harry specifically finds peace. And I, I wish the family could get back together, but I definitely don't see that <laughs> happening yeah. after I this. I was going to ask you as a, fine, as, a, as a last question, do you think his dad, especially Anne William, will ever reconcile with him after reading this? Because you know they're going to read it. I'm not sure. I hope so. Yeah. Maybe after in a couple of years, maybe in several years, when they maybe when William's king, maybe when they you know have had some distance, um, because they he yeah. does love his brother. You can see that he does. There's still a lot of pain there, though, and I don't know how do you how do you work through that? Yeah, I'm not sure because, like I said, I I think a lot of family dirty laundry was aired a lot, um, and it's in print, and you can't take that back. Mm-hmm. I know. But anyway, okay. Anyway, moving right, on. Good moving conversation. On. Man, we boy. Could, I promise, come to book club. We will do. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what everybody else has to say. Uh, all right. Well, that was fun. Yes. I actually quite like doing, We. this is kind of not a book we disagree about really, but like sometimes we do come to these books and I love when we do our bonus episodes of books we disagree about just because mm-hmm. even if we didn't feel, come at it feeling the exact same, it's so fun to have this type of conversation. Yes. yes. <sighs> we don't re- we don't often read even read the same book right. that you and I get to talk about at, right. the same book together. So rarely, especially at the same time. So that was really yep. fun. <laughs> so, yay. So again, you and I both love rich people behaving badly and we I it's been long due that we do an episode like this. So we've we of course as we do for book talk we're thinking why do we care? Why do we like watching rich people behave badly? What is the psychology of it? What is that like? And I will say, I will watch any, like, for example, White Lotus. Love that. Big Little Lies. Mm -hmm. Love that. I just love the opulence, the decadence. I love the money. I want to see what's going on. I want the gossip. You know, I love reality TV shows too. So it kind of all beards in. For me, I think I like to have that peek behind the other side of the curtain just to see like what. I don't know. What are you eating? What are you drinking? What do you have over there? (laughs) I'm just very nosy. And it's just interesting. Um, And it adds an additional layer when they're not particularly nice people. Right. Well, I I agree. I I agree with everything that you said. And then I was trying to like 
dig down into like more of a psychological like level? What is it? What do I particularly like about reading about rich people behaving badly? And I think for me, yes, I like to see that light, like that opulent lifestyle. What are, where are you living? What is it like to live in a penthouse on Fifth Avenue in New York City? What are you spending your money on out? That's so outrageous. And what is going on in, in lives like that to keep that level of wealth? Who's coming after, who's possibly coming after you to take Mm -hmm. it away? What stupid decisions are you going to make mm-hmm. to possibly lose it? Mm-hmm. If family is involved, if like, and if family doesn't get along and money, you put high levels of money and wealth and family not getting along and oh, we don't know what, right? It's yeah, just right there. You don't know what's going to happen because what it, for me, it becomes a like, what if one? What if someone wants to to take somebody else down yeah. in order to get the money? Yeah. There's just so much you can do with as an author with this topic. Yeah, I think it, yeah, power and money kind of sometimes go hand in hand, and it's always fascinating to me to see, like you said, what they need to do to stay at the top, what they need to do to get there. There's also a little bit of Schadenfreude when you're like, ooh you're kind of a nasty person. Like, I wonder if you're going to get yours. Like, are you going to get your yes. comeuppance in the end? Like, is that going to happen? Is it not? I I think in my mind anyway, in a lot of these books that we read that have rich people behaving badly, there's morally gray characters, which, you know, we yes. love mm-hmm. a good morally gray character where they don't do the best things. They might be a little bit nasty, but you also, for some reason, can't look away. You also like them a little bit. It's kind of fun to watch people just behaving so extremely. It is exact you're exactly right to to watch from the outside. Mm-hmm. From a safe and, distance now. I don't want to be yes. in the drama, but I want to <laughs> know about the drama. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Because you don't re- you really don't know how it's going to shake out. Mm-hmm. Because especially if someone ends up getting killed and oh. then it's, you know, and then it it's a whole nother level, but I also like when there's a jet setting aspect. Mm-hmm. I like sometimes, you know, they'll go to other countries. I don't know. I just, I love the, I don't know. I love the possibilities yeah. of the bad behavior that can happen <laughs> when you add in money, class, and human behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do people behave when they have unlimited resources? When you don't have mm-hmm. to worry about working or maybe you do but it's like a high powered job like what do you worry about it's just very interesting mm-hmm. i want to share this quote um i can link with this uh to this article i found it in um but this kind of sums it up i feel like for me and the quote is if wildly wealthy characters are engaging they are all out phenomenons when they behave badly mm hmm yeah. That's so true. Because <laughs> I don't, right. That's you don't so want true. a wealthy character that's just nice to everybody. Well, I mean, Maybe a little. you can have one, but you're going to have to throw in, you're going to have gonna to throw have... in some others who are behaving badly. Yes, for sure. <laughs> you got to get some villains in there. And you're right. I've read so many books that fall into this space and I just don't know that it's ever going to be one where I'm like, I'm good. I've read enough of these types of novels. Like I feel like I'll always be intrigued. Same. With that, I'll lead you into my first one. Boy, oh boy. If you want a book with family drama, corrupt decadence. Here you go. 
Book one was Age of Vice by Deepti Kapoor. Can't and, wait to hear about this. Ooh, talk about a buzzy book. I was like on the pulse this week with my reading in terms of Spare and Age of Vice. This one's everywhere. Yeah. It was a book of the month pick and a Good Morning America book club pick. I also saw it on a lot of highly anticipated 2023 lists. All right, let me set it up. There are a couple things that I think are important to know going in. One, this is book one of what I think will be a trilogy. So put that in your head. Two, it's 550 pages, which I did not know when I ordered it from Book of the Month. (laughs) (laughs) And three, this book's got an interesting structure. There are five parts, and each part is told from a different character's point of view. And it all centers on the powerful Wadia family. And this is a family that controls a lot of things in India. They are propelled by wealth, corruption, and violence. So this entire story is set in the early 2000s in India. And it opens in New Delhi at 3 a.m. when a speeding Mercedes jumps the curb and several people are killed. Now, it's a rich man's car, but when the dust settles, the cops come. There's not a rich man in there at all. It's just a shell-shocked man named AJ. And we find out that AJ is an employee of the powerful Wadia family. He's not talking. He cannot explain the strange series of events that led him there. And he's ultimately hauled off to jail. And then the story takes off from there. You get lavish settings, extravagant parties, and predatory business deals, political influence, and you come to see how three specific characters are intertwined. You've got AJ. He is the watchful servant who was born into poverty but slowly rises through the ranks of the Wadia family. Sonny is the playboy heir who dreams of outshining his father no matter the cost. So Sonny is kind of the the sun, if you will, and everything is revolving around him (laughs) in this particular story. And then you have Nita, and she's a journalist, and she is caught between desire and morality. There's a lot I liked about this book. I thought part one and two were excellent. It's very well written, and I loved reading about AJ and how he became involved in this family. He is the star to me. I loved this character, and you cannot help but root for him. And I love that this book was written by a woman because it's violent and brutal, but also very thoughtful. And I gather that this was very boundary pushing for an Indian writer. And you can tell she was a journalist in India, and she's definitely using her experience to tell this story. There is a serious sense of place, which I really appreciated. I feel like I learned a lot about India and Indian culture, at least according to this particular writer. And I liked the three main characters. I liked reading about them and following them because they're complicated. They're morally gray. You're just kind of watching like, all right, what are you going to do? How is this going to end? And a lot of the time, I just kept asking myself, where is this going? What's happening here? Where is this going? Because the structure is such that you're seeing the same event from multiple angles, which I think is kind of fun. But what didn't work for me was part four. (laughs) It was the pacing. okay. So, all right, this is a debut, so I do give it some leeway, but to me, it needed serious editing. Part four went off a cliff. I was so bored. I don't often say that. I am a very patient reader. I really am. And I can tell this is sweeping. This is epic. It's building. Things are happening. I was like, can you please get to the point? Just do it. Just get to the point. What you're going to do, just do it now (laughs) and save me 50 pages. I don't agree with the reviews that call this pulse-pounding and thrilling. I didn't see that at all. Maybe a few parts, maybe a few scenes. 
I found this to be more of a slow burn crime novel meets family saga. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to be patient, but I really did get bored. Um, and so I will say I was doing my, one of my resolutions was to read deeply. I had my little tabs on the book. I had my character list going and I did love the first two sections. And I was like, all right, maybe we have a five-star book here. But by part four, I was down to two stars. I'm not kidding. I was oh, like, what no. has happened? Is it me? Am I losing my mind? So I think I'm landing at about three and a half. Now, I will say, I think I'll knit. I think I'll read the next book in the trilogy. I think depending on when it comes out because I'm curious enough. I don't want to say anything more. If you're if you want to know specifics about how it ends, feel free to message me. I'm not going to say anything about it. But I'm curious enough to keep going and I'm going to mm-hmm. hope that she's, you know, that it gets I don't know. But I'm going to hope for something a little different. <laughs> um, okay. I will say, I've had a lot of people say, how's it, how's it going? How's it going? If you're feeling the FOMO and want to pick it up, I think you're okay to wait. I, I really do. I think this had a lot of buzz and I think it's a good book. Not going to be on my favorites list. So take that for what it will. It was Age of Vice by Deep T. Kapoor. Okay. Very fair review. Your description of how you felt about the ending mm-hmm. that I know I've talked about that too in some of my books. Would you... Would you have rather had that flip-flopped, like, bore me in the beginning, but wow me at the end? Or mm. would it have not even have worked with that wouldn't particular have worked. story? It wouldn't have okay. worked with this structure at all. But I hear what you're okay. saying. The beginning, yeah, I loved the, the starts with a bang. But the way, it, it's a really unique structure. And I liked the structure. And I think this some people will really gravitate toward this. I didn't mention it. You probably can guess. It's dark. I mean, this book is quite dark. There's villains. I mean, there's violence. Um, so just look up the trigger warnings if you want to do mm-hmm. that. But yeah, I was intrigued by the ending. I was like, okay, here we go. Okay. All right, good. All right. My first book is Chloe Cates is Missing by Mandy McHugh. And have you read this, Tina? No, but I know of it. Okay. This was recommended to me by um, Katie from Basic Bees Guide. She's one of my go-to recommenders when I'm I'm stuck. I was I was like, I need a rich people behaving badly that's propulsive with like one I can't put down. And she she's like, I have one. So it was good. And it was propulsive and I couldn't put it down. There were four narrators for the audio. Really, really good. Um, that's kind of a sweet spot. Are they, I don't, I don't know if that's full cast necessarily, but um, it worked so good because in this story, you have a missing 13-year-old YouTube star mm. called, and her name is Chloe Cates, and she is the star of the series Cece and Me, which her mother developed, made up. Her mother, who is a who started off um, in the blogging world, and then took that to this YouTube series and made her daughter the star, starting at like four years old, mm-hmm. three or four years old. And her daughter had no say in it. Now, nobody knows what has happened to Chloe Cates. Least of all, her mother, who freaks out, obviously. Well, obviously, you would think, yes, you she freaks out because her daughter is missing. But guess what? Also, she freaks out because they had a photo shoot scheduled. Oh, wow. I the, mean. <laughs> so if that doesn't tell you about the mother that we're dealing with here, um, I don't know what does. This is a story that I, that takes off from the get-go. 
You have um, a child celebrity. But what is she really like? Um, what is really going on behind closed doors? You have a you have Jennifer is the mother. You have her husband, and there's also a an older brother in the story. Now, everybody is flipping out because Chloe is missing, and in comes a missing persons detective, and her name is Emelina. And it turns out she may have a connection to this case, to this family that is quite interesting and may put, you know, kind of a a damper on her trying to figure out what happened. You have the mother who uses social media in very interesting ways to her detriment. And all of this is swirling. All of this, it's like everyone loses their mind for different reasons. And the cracks And the secrets and the lies come out with this family. What's really interesting about this book is the way it's structured. You have multiple points of view, which is why it works so well with the different narrators. um, Because the story is told from Jennifer, the mother's perspective, Emelina, the detective's perspective, and um, pages from Chloe's lost diary. So that so that's how you get you get Chloe's perspective, which was really good, and then later on you get a bit of the um, dad. So put all this together. This was a propulsive story from start to finish. Notice that I said propulsive, mm-hmm. not perfect. It is not a perfect story. I rolled my eyes. I told Katie I rolled my eyes uh, at some parts, specifically the overabundant use of the mother who refused to say the F word. So instead she said fork. What the no, fork? No, come on. I don't know how mm-hmm. I, t- come on. We need to edit some of those out because it was very annoying. And that wasn't the only word that she like spun. So that was my, actually, that's probably my my only critique. And it just got on my nerves, but that's a minor critique. Um, this book was fun. When I tell you, it went in unexpected directions. Oh my gosh. I was I was quite surprised at the and and also I appreciate that. I love missing person stories, but give me something different. And this book delivered on the different. And you know what, Tina? I was thinking about when um as I was reading and definitely when I'm done, this would make a great fiction nonfiction pairing with I'm glad my mom died by Jeanette McCurdy, which you read. Mm-hmm. And if you, if it, so you, I haven't read it yet, but um, if you had at all thought, I oh, gosh, I wonder how this book by Jeanette McCurdy would play as a fiction story. This is the book to Got read. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's so, actually the yeah. exact, as soon as you started saying this, I was like, uh-huh. That came to mind for sure. So uh, yeah, I, I recommend it. It was it was fun. It's Chloe Cates is missing by Mandy McHugh. Mm, that's a good one. Good recommendation, Katie. Let's talk more about messed up mothers. Number two is Stone Cold Fox by Rachel Kohler Croft, oh. and this one uh, doesn't come out until February fourteenth. But I had to read it for this. The cover is amazing. So go check out mm-hmm. the cover. And this is another debut, which I didn't anticipate, but it's a debut. And this is more my speed, I think, than Age of Vice. It is about B, 
She's an ambitious woman who, after a lifetime of conning alongside her mother, wants to leave her dark past behind and marry into one of the country's wealthiest families. She was an unwilling participant in her mother's schemes. Her mom always had something going on growing up. So B wants nothing more than to escape her shadow, close the door on their sordid past, and disappear safely into old money domesticity. She finally meets Colin. Colin's perfect for her goals. He's dull, but he's very rich, (laughs) and he's the heir of this family. Best of all, he adores her. And the challenge isn't getting the ring, but the challenge is getting everyone else to love her as much as Colin does. And specifically, his childhood best friend, Gail Wallace Leicester. She is his best friend, and she does not like B. <laughs> but B's not worried. <laughs> She's an expert in going toe-to-toe with women, so she doesn't see Gail as a threat. But what starts is kind of fun, petty terrorism, and I'm talking like very funny kind of tit-for-tat, back-and-forth, quickly develops into a dangerous game because Gail sees right through B's fake identity and her falsehood and will do whatever she has to to protect her best friend, Colin, because Colin's the one that got away and she's kind of still in love with him. This book was so fun. I Not too, too graphic or anything like that, so if you like a thriller or want kind of a popcorn thriller that's not overly, you know, brutal or dark, this could work. If you like books with a psychopath in the center of it, then this could work because I thought B, B's definitely damaged, but she's funny. And she's one of those characters that like, you know, okay, this isn't great what you're doing, but I'm still rooting for you. And I love that she took nothing from anybody and dresses people down with the best of them. Um, she's kind of like a, a real housewife, like very just, I want to be a little bit more like B, very bold. And the rivalry between her and Gail was great. So again, this is kind of a popcorn thriller, but I found it to have depth and you really understand how B got to be the way she is now. Loved the ending. I mean, this book went in places that I was predicting, but like still I was very pleasantly surprised. So I recommend this. I think this is a new author to watch. It was Stone Cold Fox by Rachel Kohler Croft. Yeah, that sounds really good. That's on my TBR. Um, it was for fun. Sure. It was so fun. I bet that will, and I needed I fun be good. after okay after, after Age of Vice. Very true. I bet that would be good on audio. Just I bet it from would. your description. Mm-hmm. I did print, so I wouldn't know. But yeah, I bet it could be okay. All right, good. All right, my next book is such a surprise also, and I haven't really heard much about it. It's The House Party by Rita Cameron. Do you know this book? I'm not sure. It came out in September. Mm-hmm. I bet you'll know it when I start describing it. This is about, a, okay, a couple, Maya and her husband, first of all. They are living a perfect life in New York City. She works at an art gallery. He's a stockbroker at a prestigious firm. This story takes place right before the fall of everything financial in 2008. So Mm. right before that. So Maya and her husband are building their dream house, dream house, in a small community in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Think amazing house, glass windows on all three levels. And it's it's on a river in like a forest. And one night, a group of teenagers breaks in and trashes the house. Now, obviously, that is just the tip of the iceberg. 
to this story because what that that is the opening scene, the opening few couple chapters. You get to know Maya and her husband, and you get to know a bit about this community, the Philadelphia suburb where they're building the house. This is a fairly small community and a fa- fairly wealthy community. Although not everyone is wealthy, it's pretty well. They're most of the people are pretty wealthy. So what happens with this house being destroyed? What happens when you pit neighbor against neighbor, Maya and her husband, who are on the surface outsiders coming into this community, and then families with, quote unquote, the good kids wanting to stand up for their kids and protect them from what's going to happen because of their behavior at this party. Other things happen at this party. Other crimes are committed. Who's going to face the consequences? This is not so much a who did it, but a why and what's going to happen when it all when the dust settles. This would be such a good book club book because the families of these kids. Now, mind you, some of them are 18, so they are adults. Some of them are most of them are seniors. So what happens when the parents get involved? Some of the parents have a lot of money. What's going to happen with the school? What's going to happen in the community? What's going to happen to friendships, careers, and marriages when the differences in wealth and power come to the surface? Because you have a lot of people saying, well, they're good kids. We don't want to jeopardize their scholarships. Oh, heaven forbid. We don't want to jeopardize their <laughs> futures. But then you have other people saying they need to pay, they there needs to be consequences. And even though it sounds really, really simple, there is a lot going on in this book. And I binged it. I could not stop reading. There is so much to discuss. And the way that Rita Cameron set it up, the way she writes, it felt like a popcorn thriller, although this is very much like heavier themes. Mm -hmm. This is not, you know what I mean? There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot of substance. And also then you have Maya and her husband and what secrets potentially are going on with them and that, that come out with what happens to their house. So it's really, really interesting you know, if you think there might not be that much involved in a house getting destroyed, I say, think again. I recommend this. This is one of my favorite books of January. And guess what? I did do most of this on audio. Carissa Vacker narrated, and I liked it a lot. Mm -hmm. She did a really good job with voices. I liked it. I recommend it. This is The House Party by Rita Cameron. Good. Oh, that does sound fun. And I I see what you mean. It's like, oh, you know, they wrecked a house. Like, how could there be much drama in that? No, it it sounds like there definitely is plenty. Plenty, plenty, because that's just the surface. It's just the surface. And if you really like books that seem to be about one thing, but are so much more, and there's a lot yes. underneath, mm-hmm. you've got to give this a try. Good. I really recommend it. All right. Well, my shelf edition, I squealed when I saw that this was coming out. It's called Big Gay Wedding by Byron Lane. Mm. And the reason I was so happy is because I really, really loved his book, A Star is Bored, from a couple years ago. So this one comes out on May 30th of this year. 
<laughs> and it's I have a theme. It's a mother theme, apparently, from my last few <laughs> ep books. But you've got two grooms and one mother of a problem. Barnett Durang has a secret. No, not that secret. His widowed mother has known he was gay for years, thanks to an unfortunate internet search history when Barnett was in high school. The secret is Barnett is getting married at his mother's farm in their small Louisiana town. She just doesn't know it yet. It'll be an intimate affair, just 200 or so of the most fabulous folks Barnett is shipping in from the heathen coasts, as his mom likes to call it. (laughs) And it is no secret that the wedding will be the biggest, gayest event in town's history. But what no one can predict is that after the whirlwind glitter-filled week, nothing will ever be the same. Big Gay Wedding is an uplifting book about the power of family and the unconditional love of a mother for her son. Uh, And it says, you're all invited to the biggest, gayest wedding of the year. I'm like, I would love to attend this in real life. I can't wait to see what he brings. And uh, this book was called Big Gay Wedding by Byron Lane. Yeah, that sounds so good. All right. And if you had a mother theme for for some of your books today, I've got a missing person theme going, (laughs) which I didn't even realize. I truly didn't until just now. Um, My shelf edition is called Going Dark by Melissa De La Cruz comes out January 31st. And ooh, this got me. It is a ripped from the headlines, Gone Girl meets A Good Girl's Guide to Murder. Mm, Okay. Come on. I I can't. Yes. Okay. It's about an influencer who vanishes after going on vacation with her boyfriend. The influencer is Amelia Ashley. She goes missing. There's a hashtag. Where is Amelia Ashley? Now, this particular influencer is one of the influencers who shares everything with her followers, restaurants, fashion tips, and her entire European trip of a lifetime with her hot boyfriend. So then you have the boyfriend. His name is Josh. And Josh returns home without Amelia after he says she abandons him in Rome. And he has no idea what happened to her, or how her blood got in his suitcase. So why won't anybody believe him? Mm, I wonder then why. You have, <laughs> I know. Then you have a hacker, someone named Harper DeLago. This person is helping to whip up a media frenzy. Then you have someone called the other girl. And the other girl is another girl who went missing two years before, but who never had a hashtag. And never made headlines. So then you have the truth. And Amelia's disappearance has captured everyone's attention. So what's going to happen next? Now, here's what really intrigues me about, obviously, I'm intrigued by the setup. But the way that this story is going to be told is with a mix of social media posts, diary entries, and firsthand accounts. So I'm thinking like a first-hand podcasts, first-hand interview accounts. And, you know, it reminded me of the structure of Cover Story last year that we read by Susan mm-hmm. Rigetti. And that works so well to have all of these different elements to tell the story. So I'm hoping that this is as good. It's being billed as a gripping, suspenseful thriller about all the missing girls who fall off the radar. And that is Going Dark by Melissa De La Cruz. That one does sound good. It also sounds like things that happened in real life, unfortunately. 
Right. I know. The rip from the headlines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely Mm -hmm. getting that. Yeah. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It truly helps get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to that exclusive bonus content like our book club, you can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash booktalk, etc. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc. And me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next time. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. Well, that's it for today, right? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um. <laughs>